Hey everyone, welcome to the first Sunday of Advent 2021 with Faith in Capital. Uh, every week we're going to put out just a little bit of a, uh, of a reflection on one of the lectionary texts. And actually I have a good friend and comrade, um, a fellow uh, follower of Christ and Maoist with me, who's actually going to be doing some of the reflections with me. And, I, and today, first Sunday, will be shared from my friend Chris. So I hope you all enjoy it and you'll journey with us through this season. Comrades and fellow disciples, welcome to this first week of Advent. In my religious tradition, we light a candle for each week of Advent, just a small gesture to remember the big themes of the season. The first candle we light on the first week of Advent is the candle of hope. May this short reflection encourage you to lean into hope this Advent season. And so hear this reading from Luke's Gospel, chapter 21, verses 25 through 36. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on earth, distress among nations confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also. When you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. And that day catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Here ends the reading. If you came here for hints of that baby in a manger, I'm afraid you'll be disappointed. Instead, here's a heaping portion of destruction and despair, fear, and awe. In this text, Jesus offers his last public teaching before being betrayed and ultimately executed. So the last thing Jesus tells the people is that when he returns, the earth itself will revolt and the heavens will be shaken. And then the people will receive their salvation. Earlier in the same chapter, one of Jesus's followers is commenting on how beautiful the temple is, how it is adorned with beautiful stones. Jesus responds to this person with, the day will come when not one stone is left upon another. All will be thrown down. In his last moment of public witness, 
Jesus makes a claim to power. And that is the thing Caesar wants least from the subjugated masses. All of the extraordinary flair of this text can be understood in opposition to the power of Rome. Even though Caesar's power may seem infinite and complete, the people of God believe in a power deeper and wider than anything Caesar can muster. Ultimately, we believe this is God's world. And no army can withstand the rage of the sea, as we see in the Exodus, or the power of all God's creation standing in solidarity against death-dealing forces. Heaven and earth will pass away. The temple, it'll pass away too. And you better believe that Caesar's kingdom will come crashing down. But the word of God is steadfast. The best bit for me comes in verse 28. Jesus says, when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads for your redemption is drawing near. To the ones who toil, whose land was stolen from them, who struggle to maintain bare life, Jesus commands that they behave as the people of God, not walking around with their heads hung low, but instead as a people who know to whom they belong and where power really lies. Let's recall the people of the Republic of Upper Volta, who forced out the French colonizers in the early 1980s, reclaiming the land beneath them and the resources of their country. Not only was it necessary to reject the influence and presence of the French, but a rejection was required of the ways in which the people had been conditioned to think about themselves and their place in the world. Tomas Sankara is credited for changing the name of the country to Burkina Faso, meaning roughly land of upright people. Of course, this name change did not undo the damage done by the colonizers. There were very complicated problems the people had to face, both politically and economically. But this work could not be adequately undertaken while the people understood themselves as powerless before the global market and incapable of shaping their world. The people who are upright, on the other hand, are dangerous. People who are upright cannot be intimidated into accepting their subordination. Let us no longer neglect the revolutionary necessity of forming an upright people with a sense of dignity. The primary task of our work is to break the hold that capitalists, be they bosses, landlords, or politicians, have on the masses. The people must come to see themselves not as feeble, but powerful, not as insignificant, but as the very makers of history. Friends, it's time for us to read the signs of the times. The 
capitalist system of production has created ecological catastrophe. The seas will rage and the earth will quake against its power. Our redemption is drawing near as the people who live on the underside of Caesar's world increasingly refuse to be crushed beneath his feet. And as you see these signs beginning to take place, stand up and lift your head.